It's interesting to note that there are four different times in Luke's gospel in which the birth of Jesus is being talked about. And as the birth of Jesus is being talked about, or as we're going to see next week, in the birth of the one who was the forerunner of, Lord, of the Lord Jesus, every time that happens, people break out in song. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to look at the four songs that are in Luke's gospel. We're going to start this morning. Uh, Les Novak is going to uh, bring to us the Magnificat when Mary learns that she is going to be uh, the mother of the Messiah. We'll then look at Zechariah's song as his tongue is loosened and he is able to praise God for his redemptive work. Uh, then Matt Geiger is going to open for us the text in which the angels uh, respond to the birth of the Lord Jesus. And then finally, we will look at Simeon's song as Jesus is presented in the temple. So Les, we hear you gladly. Brother, come and open the word for us this morning. Well, thank you, Pastor Kyle. Thank you for uh, this opportunity uh, to bring God's word uh, to God's people. Um, we come here this morning on the cusp of Thanksgiving. And we come here on the brink of our Advent season celebrating uh, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We also come here rejoicing, at least I know I do, that Nebraska football season is finally over. So... With that, let's go to our text this morning. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. Luke 1, 46 to 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful uh, for this season. We're thankful for the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful uh, that you are a God who fulfills your promises. Well, I pray here now that you would uh, bless our time together, that you would bless uh, the preaching of your word, that you would help me to decrease while you increase. May you give uh, us ears to hear and eyes to see that you would open our hearts to receive uh, your glorious word. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. 
Amen. Songs in our lives have a habit of signifying certain things in our life. Um, 1987, Mead Raider football locker room. The song by Queen, We Will Rock You, is ringing through the locker room as we prepare to go out and play the state football championship game. And uh, lo and behold, when we return to the locker room at the end of the game, the last part of that song, We Are the Champions, <clears throat> became a reality. Or flash forward to 1995, 96, this sort of long-haired, dapper man is <clears throat> cruising around in his 1984 Z28 Camaro with, with his best gal. And, uh, and both long hair flowing through the air, T-tops down, with the song uh, by Firehouse. Um, now I forgot the name of it. <laughs> I finally found the love of a lifetime which would become, this is, this is why you make notes. This is why you make notes. Very important. Which finally becomes uh, our wedding song. Songs have a significance in our life. <laughs> and uh, it is no different in Scripture. It's no different in Scripture. All the songs throughout Scripture, Moses' song, Hannah's song, David's song, all these songs throughout Scripture signify something that is coming to an end and a new beginning that is coming. And the songs we embark on this Advent season is no different. The song before us and the songs coming afterwards signify a new beginning. These songs are the crescendo of all that has been sung before, all these instruments that have been played before, everything, everything is coming into this magnificent crescendo, into God's redemptive plan being fulfilled and the birth of his son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. So since we're sort of kind of dropping in on a text, I want to just take a couple minutes to sort of kind of see where we are. You know, we all we all know the you know, we all know the the text here. We all know the birth of Jesus. But just to kind of relive it a little bit here, um, Mary, again, was visited by an angel of God. She was told she had found favor with God, that she would conceive in her womb and bear a son. And you shall call him. You should call his name Jesus. He will be great, who will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is a summarization of the gospel. It's also that her relative Elizabeth in her old age was pregnant. So it was haste she makes a trip to see Elizabeth. The journey would have taken days... And along the way, she would have been meditating. 
First, on this great miracle she was about to be a part of. And second, the gospel message that she had heard from the angel. And thirdly, she would have she would have memorized she would have memorized probably one in particular, Hannah's song. And we can make this claim in her song. Every we can make this claim because in her song, every word can be traced to an Old Testament scripture, particularly songs and psalms, and with the help of divine inspiration from the Holy Spirit, she compiles this rich theological hymn. As she had been meditating on Old Testament scripture, the gospel, mes- the gospel message she had received begins to magnify all that she has heard and sung. It begins to magnify God's mercy along with the depravity of man and our need of a Savior. It magnifies the uniqueness of God's sovereign work in redemptive history. It magnifies God as, as a promise maker and a promise keeper. In our text this morning, we see the power of the gospel magnifying all the Old Testament scripture Mary had heard and learned and and the hope of the seed that God's redemptive plan had promised. Mary's song can be separated into three stanzas. What God has done for Mary, what God has done for all mankind, and how God has remembered his covenant with his people, Israel. It is written in a prophetic past tense. God's covenant is a done deal. In your bulletin, there's an outline of our sermon and the big idea. And the big idea is this, that the power of the gospel magnifies the unique work of God's redemptive plan. The power of the gospel magnifies the unique work of God's redemptive plan. The first point we want to see is that the power of the gospel magnifies God's mercy on a believer. It magnifies God's mercy on a believer. As God's mercy is the center point of the gospel, it's also the major building block in the believer's relationship with God. Mary, in these first verses, magnifies her graciousness for God's mercy on her. Mary begins her song of praise just the same as all the songs of praise before her. In verses 46 to 47, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She makes God alone the object of her praise. He is the center of all her joy. The soul and spirit refer to this inward most self, the I, my total self, all that I am. The initial work of the gospel is an inward transformation by the work of God's word and spirit, uniting with our spirit, which magnifies and praises the Lord. Without such a work, we cannot properly worship. Jesus says this in John 4, 23-24, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. 
God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The power of the gospel magnifies our spirit with his and thus magnifies the truth of his word and mercy. To quote Matthew Henry, praising work must be soul work. With inward work comes conviction and repentance. Mary, just as all believers, sees herself as a sinner. She understands her great need for a Savior. She rejoices as she remembers that the one she is carrying in her womb is the Son of the Most High, Jesus, Savior. Her soul magnifies the Lord, for he has also looked on the humble estate of his servant. Who has, who was she that the Lord would choose her? Choose her in her poverty. Choose her in her obscurity. There's a uniqueness in God's redemptive work. I ask myself every time I step up to the pulpit, as every good preacher should, Who am I that God would choose me to preach his word? I'm no one special. But God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things according to his will. The world would have chosen the greatest of stature for the mother of the Son of God. As we will see, God doesn't work quite in step with the workings of the world. Though she considers herself low, she acknowledges the great things that God has done for her. That all the generations will call her blessed. Great and glorious things can be expected with God and everything he will do. He will do well and for the best. If you are sitting here this morning and have received Christ... You've heard the gospel. You understand your depravity, your need of a Savior. Know that He is mighty, has done great things for you. Friends, let's remember that for a while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our response to His mercy should always be Who am I that God should look on the humble estate of his servant? And as the power of the gospel has magnified God's mighty work in Mary's personal salvation, she now turns towards an outward attention to God's redemptive plan for all mankind. A Savior has come. A Savior has been and will be born. There's a completion here. The second point is this, is that the power of the gospel magnifies the the power, God's power and judgment. The power of the gospel magnifies God's power and judgment. Now, I'm no science major or no chemistry major, but I know a little bit somewhat how a microscope does work. Again, what little I know, if you put cells or something microscopic in a Petri dish, I think that's what it's called. Um, And you look through the lens, you'll see an enlarged state of that which you could not see before. 
This is what Mary saw in the first stanza, an enlarged version of God's redemptive work in her life. Mercy, salvation, grace through the one she was bearing in her womb. But if you turn the microscope to the next power, you start to see all the intricate pieces of the cells. And in this stanza, the power of the gospel magnifies God's redemptive work a bit more. And we start to see the more intricate pieces of the unique work of his redemptive plan. The intricate work of mercy that's revealed in Mary's personal reflection is now broadened to all those who fear him. Verse 50, and mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mercy is for believers who faithfully trust in God's salvation, which frees them from his judgment for their sins. This produces reverent, humble obedience that seeks to please God. As we saw in the first stanza, Mary exemplifies the fear of the Lord. He has shown strength with his arm. In Middle Eastern culture, the right arm was the symbol of power. It is Jesus who is seated at the right hand of God. And Jesus is the power of God. He is the King of Kings. And his gospel is the power that saves. He scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he brings down the mighty from their thrones and the rich he has sent away empty. He's exalted those of humble estate, and he has filled the hungry with good things. This, in a sense, is a moral reversal. The low are exalted, and the exalted are brought low. Now, this isn't new to Scripture. In fact, it's quite repetitive. It's quite a repetitive theme throughout Scripture. And we heard it in the Old Testament test that Jenny read for us today. Um, if we turn back there to Hannah's song, we see in verse 7, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. In verse 9, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. These aren't verses about social justice. It's the heart of the gospel. Jesus himself has humbled himself at this point, being carried in the womb of Mary. He'll be born into poverty, laid in a manger, and live a life of that which maybe is not our definition of a king. He'll live a life and live a life of a servant. It's the heart of the gospel. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. One of my favorite hymns is Come Ye Sinner. 
It says, Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. The hymn doesn't say, Come come all ye sinners who are well off, who are strong, who have everything put together, willing to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. It also goes on to say, Jesus ready stands to save you. Without money, come to Jesus Christ and buy. God's kingdom isn't merited on anything we have or obtain in this world. It's everything that Christ has done for us. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In that rest, now my soul magnifies the Lord. Jesus isn't asking us to meet him in our exalted state, but to come with all our baggage, all our brokenness, all our needs. He has come down to us. We don't have to work to get up to him. Rest in knowing he has looked on our humble estate. He has done great things for us. He has shown strength with His arm. And He has fulfilled God's promises and has paid the debt I owe. There is an absolute, there is a past tense context here in this song. Everything has been done. I am thankful each and every day for the uniqueness of the gospel. I'm thankful that Jesus came for sinners like me. Before I was saved, I used to think that if I walked into a church, I would burst into flames. I would never be a person of interest to God. If you're here today or listening via the web and you've always thought the same thing, just know this that that's a good first step. That's a good first step towards Christ for you. Knowing you're broken, knowing you are a sinner in need of saving. But as Jesus points out a little further in Luke, but woe to those who think they don't need saving. Woe to you who've done all the right things. Woe to you who think you're a good person and you and God will sort of hash it out when the time comes. There's salvation for those who need saving. There's judgment and there's judgment for those who have already saved themselves. Third point is this, that the power of the gospel magnifies the fulfillment of God's redemption formally promised. The power of the gospel magnifies the fulfillment of God's redemption formally promised. She ends the song in this sort of completion. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. 
Mary takes a look back to God's covenant promise to Israel stated in Genesis 12.3, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promises Abraham an offspring in which is fulfilled in the one she is carrying in her womb. The unique part is that we as Christians today are the spiritual offspring of Abraham, his descendants through faith in Christ. This is made possible only through Christ. Christ is that fulfillment. It is through his righteousness we can become descendants of the promise. And his mercy extends to us forever and forever. A child is born. The child has come. And the child is Jesus and he has saved those who will believe in him. The gospel of Jesus Christ isn't only the power that magnifies God's redemptive plan. It's also all the microscopic thread that weaves all of God's redemptive history together, finding its completion and its yes and amen in Jesus Christ. The table before us is a remembrance of that completion. It is finished. It has been done. We come to the table not by anything we have accomplished, but wholly by what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Let us come to the table singing in our hearts, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in my God, my Savior. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us that you show in the giving of your Son. We thank you for bringing to completion your redemptive promises you made in the past. We thank you for your mercies that are new each and every day. And we thank you above all things for our salvation that comes in your Son, Jesus Christ. We're moving our hearts to celebrate this Advent season in the completion of your redemptive plan, the birth of your Son, and as we look towards his death and resurrection on the cross. We ask all this in his name. Amen.